forgiven at the cross. Amen. Well, if you didn't guess, you can turn to the book of James. <laughs> James, we're continuing with James, a faith that works. And just some very practical truths. Uh, all the Bible is practical, but some, some writers God has used to just kind of hit right where the rubber meets the road, right? And Pastor James is one of those. We're in chapter 4. Titled the message tonight, The Battle Within. Kind of a, a unique five verses here. Um, the battle within potentially each one of us, but specifically as he's addressing what was happening with these Hebrew uh, people. We believe um, whether they were believers or not, they professed faith in Christ. And the whole book of James, as you remember, is centered around that idea of faith without works is dead. So there were some, obviously, that professed to be believers that were not. And... um, that's a different message for a different time. But tonight he's at the beginning of chapter 4. And if, if we remember last week, we talked about uh, heavenly wisdom and earthly wisdom. And we'll kind of bring in our study right from that point. And I'll try to be as timely as I can tonight. James chapter 3, verse 17. And we'll just go right into chapter 4 from there. James three seventeen and 18. It says, But the wisdom that is from above is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, easy to be entreated, full of mercy and good fruits, without partiality, without hypocrisy, and the fruit of righteousness is sown in peace of them that make peace. We were reminded as we stopped last week, and we kind of had to rush to the end there, but as we were reminded that God's people are to be leading in the world in the area of peace. I mean, we have the peace of God that passes all understanding within our hearts and minds those of us who have been saved. We ought to be leading in that righteousness and peace are close companions. But as you hear, and I'm, I'm thankful I don't hear about it as much here. If, it, if it's happening here, um, you're quiet about it. Which I don't, I'm just going to assume it's really not happening right now and I'm glad for that. I don't know if I've ever heard of our church having a split. Maybe, maybe you didn't way, way back in, when the dinosaurs were around. I'm not really sure. But, and they can cause a lot of problems, you know, dinosaurs. So... Um, might have happened then, but I haven't heard of that. But that's not the norm in churches today. And I commend you for, uh, for being obedient to the Lord and not allowing that to happen in this church. But in, in churches, in Christianity, we see this a lot. There's so much quarreling, arguing, bickering, fighting, jealousy, envying, going on in the house of God under the name of Christ. So much of it. Divisions. Um, and resulting in, in nightmares for pastoral leadership or nightmares for congregations under that kind of pastor. And I, I don't know about you, but I can totally understand. I mean, the older I get in the Lord, the more it is apparent to me how inherently selfish I am. I mean, literally, it's something I deal with every day. I fight it, but it just keeps on coming back. It's like, it was never dies. No doubt, this epistle, this letter, okay, um, a little bit out of the ordinary epistle, but this, this letter that Pastor James here is, is God has given to him was read in local gatherings. As the Hebrews were scattered abroad, we read that in the first couple verses of this passage. We know at that time period, the persecution in the church was great, and he writes this letter to the Hebrews that were, that were scattered abroad. He addresses this same issue with, with those Hebrews. And we see this selfish behavior confronted all through the epistle, really. 
I mean, if I, I put, put it on the slides for us here behind, just follow along with me and you see this through all of the threads and what's going on, this idea of selfishness and the problems that it's causing in James 1, 19 and 20. Uh, you can read it right here on the screen. My beloved brethren, let every man be swift to hear, slow to speak, slow to wrath. Why? We said, for the wrath of man worketh not the righteousness of God. He's, he's dealing with things uh, that are issues. In chapter 1, verse 26, If any man among you seem to be religious, and bridleth not his own tongue, but deceiveth his own heart, this man's religion is vain. James 2, 6, he says, But ye have despised the poor. James 3, 8 through 9, But the tongue can no man tame. It is an unruly evil, full of deadly poison. Therewith bless we God, even the Father, and therewith curse we men, which are made after the similitude of God. He goes on later, my brethren, these things ought not to be so. James 3.14, if you have bitter envying and strife in your heart, glory not and lie not against the truth. James 3.16, for where envying and strife is, there's confusion in every evil work. James 4.11, speak not evil one to another or one of another, brethren. James 5.9, grudge not one against another, brethren, lest you be condemned. Over and over again, he deals with uh, strife problems, contentions. Uh, we can see this, uh, the butting of heads uh, among whether it's these believers or whether in these families or these local gatherings, whatever it was, this was an issue he had to deal with over and over and over again. We see it throughout the letter. So in our text tonight, in James chapter 4, James asks some honest questions that God is going to answer for us tonight. Where, where does all this fighting and quarreling come from? James chapter 4, verse 1. We're going to read it in a second. And if we understand where the issue starts, then it seems the source would be the best place to go to fix it. Right? It just seems like that. Uh, I don't know about you, but many times I'm a a fan of ibuprofen. Okay? I just am. I like it. It it works for me. (laughs) All right? I'm, I'm a fan. But maybe some of you are Tylenol or aspirin or... I'm talking about personal pain relievers, right? And uh, we're a fan of those things when we have a headache or there's some pain or inflammation or whether we take that. But I think we don't have to be a doctor to understand that those, when we take those things, they're not really fixing the problem, right? They're just covering over. They're helping us to deal with it, right? And, and that happens a lot. In order for the pain to truly go away, our bodies have to repair what is causing that pain. In our, in our physical bodies. Sometimes we do the same thing with issues or schisms or arguments between each other. And specifically, we're talking about the body of Christ tonight. You know, instead of sitting down and lovingly resolving these issues, getting to the bottom of these issues, fixing what caused the issue in the first place, many times we'll just take a pain reliever. And that's a little bit different for each of us. We handle it without actually handling it. Right? I was, I was thinking of some ways. What are some ways we do it? Well, some of us, and this would be more my thing, uh, we clam up and we just don't say anything. We be the bigger man. <laughs> right? But we don't actually ever talk about it and fix the issue. Or maybe we vent to someone else in private or in public on Facebook. <laughs> or and we feel much better <laughs> after we're done venting. Right? Or maybe, maybe you've been a victim of this or you've been a perpetrator and you've publicly or privately just cut that person down. And sometimes that has a salving uh, sensation to it. 
All of a sudden, we're the big man or we're the big woman because we were able to belittle that other person. But it never really fixed the issue, right? It never fixed what came up in the first place. Maybe we like to gather a group of people around ourselves that agree with us on this issue, why we're right and why we're justified in feeling this way and how wronged we were. But we never go to that person. We never fix the cause of the issue. So if we're only feeling better about the issue and we don't actually resolve it, what really did we accomplish there? We accomplished something uh, very temporary, very temporary. James, in James chapter 4, he is asking some questions. You're going to see this. Every point tonight is a question, okay? Well, at least the first three points, and we'll see how far we get tonight. The first three points are all a question. He asks questions to get them thinking, and to get them thinking along the line that we, we can fix this. God has the answer for this. Okay, let's read together in James chapter 4, verse 1 through 5, and then we'll pray and ask the Lord to help us. He says, From whence come wars and fightings among you? Come they not hence, even of your lust that war in your members? Ye lust and have not. Ye kill and desire to have and cannot obtain. Ye fight and war, yet ye have not, because ye ask not. Ye ask and receive not, because ye ask amiss, that ye may consume it upon your lusts. Ye adulterers and adulteresses, know ye not that the friendship of the world is enmity with God? Whosoever, therefore, will be a friend of the world is the enemy of God. Do you think that the Scripture saith in vain, The Spirit that dwelleth in us lusteth to envy? Well, Pastor James is asking some pretty legitimate questions here. Very upfront, very confrontational, right? His, his main question boils down to, Why are you quarreling? Why are you fighting amongst yourselves? Let's ask the Lord to help us and to open His Word tonight. Father, you've been so good to us. Would you please help us tonight, Lord? I don't sense, Father, that there's quarreling or bickering going on in our church body, Lord. Father, maybe it is, has nothing to do with our church body. Maybe this is something you just want to strengthen us in, Father. Maybe there's something going on in our, in our extended relationships. I don't know, Father, what it is. But tonight, as you... As I try to open up the word, Father, would you teach us, would you allow your Holy Spirit, Lord, to open our spiritual eyes to see exactly what you're saying here and how this applies to us, Lord? Father, I know you have this message for us tonight. Please have your will and way in the response to it. In your name I ask, amen. So as we continue, Pastor James, he's asking a legitimate question. And the question is, why are you quarreling? So for in verse number one, we're going to stay right here, and you're only going to actually look outside of this um, one time, and that's really time permitting tonight, okay? So, but in verse number one, we see a couple, couple words that we want to understand, okay? We see wars and we see fighting. So wars is kind of the general idea of turmoil, okay? And fightings was the, it's more personal, it's person to person, all right? So as he is coming down to this first main point, um, there was enough of this problem obviously going on in these, in these uh, churches or these cultures. And we, when we say churches, we're talking about assemblies of believers. Okay? That this pastor, James, needed to address this. And our question tonight, is this a picture of our life? Is this something that is going on in our homes or in our jobs or uh, specifically among those who profess Christ? Is this happening? Are, are we a part of it? Are we personally a part of it? Are we a, an opponent or a, 
um, protagonist in this. Have you ever asked yourself why turmoil seems to follow certain people around? Does it follow you around? And if so, have you ever asked why? Maybe there's a reason. Maybe there's a reason. Sometimes we take the, the stance of, well, I'm just unlucky. But we really know that's not the case, right? And, and tonight, instead of taking ibuprofen, let's see what the Lord's solution to this is. But he asked some questions to get to the root of the problem. And that's really the first idea, is to really unveil, to take the scab off the real issue. Number one, he says, point number one, do you understand where this bickering is coming from? Do you understand where this is coming from? Look in James chapter 1. He says, from whence come wars and fightings among you? Come they not hence, even of your lusts that war in your members? You know, a verse that's really hit home with me many times in Proverbs 13, 10 on the screen behind me. Only by pride cometh contention. Notice that word only. There's not too many verses that are so narrow as this. Only by pride cometh contention, but with the well-advised is wisdom. If you look in this, these, these five verses here, we see our lusts being mentioned. And the word lust, I, I studied this, the word lust, lusts, lusted, and lusting, in the King James Version at least, are found about 50 times. Mostly in the New Testament. Every time I read, it was in a sinful context. So when he says... Uh, when, where do wars and fightings among you, where do they come from? And he, then he answers his own question, even of your lusts that warn your members, these lusts are not good things. There's in no way, shape, or form something positive that he's getting at. These are not coming from positive things. He asks them a question, and then he answers it. He says, aren't these fights a result of your own lusts? Just running unrestrained in your life. They're battling. There's a war going on. Your lusts are fighting you. And maybe a little tongue-in-cheek, he's saying, and from the results I'm seeing, they seem to be winning. That's why I'm writing this letter to you, because this needs to be addressed. You know, in these first five verses, it, it can be a little uh, kind of easy to get lost in the back and forth, the way these things are worded here. So if we break them down, I, I stuck, and, and you can disagree a little bit, but I think it's accurate what I'm going to tell you here. We're going to reword this in kind of some conversational English, okay? And don't check my grammar or my punctuation, Miss Robin. No, that's not Miss Robin. Hi, you guys are in the DePaula spot right there. <laughs> that's funny. The West. Don't check my punctuation, okay? <laughs> um, but if we do verse 1 through 5 that we just read in more of a conversational style, as maybe they might have understood it back then, we'll start back with verse number 1. Where... Did all of this war and fighting in, in your groups come from? Isn't it a result of your lusts battling inside of you? He says in verse 2, You desire, but you do not get what you desire. You're even willing to kill for it, but still you don't get it. You go to war with one another to get what you want, but you do not go to God and ask God for what you want. When you finally do ask God for it, you still do not receive it because you're asking for the wrong things. You're asking to fulfill your own selfish desires. Verse 4, you've been unfaithful to your Lord. Don't you know that you cannot desire a relationship with the world and still be on good terms with God? This relationship places you on the side of the enemy and pits you against God. 
Do you think God put it in the Bible for no reason? Our spirits desire to please ourselves. He tells them, you're not, you're not receiving the things uh, you want in this world. So you have entered into competition. There was this, this battle, this tug of war going on, obviously, uh, within some of the people that profess Christ here that he is dealing with. I want this. I want that. And it had created turmoil. And what is at the root of all that? It's always self. Always. Self is at the root of all of our issues. And it's no different here. Why are you guys fighting amongst yourselves? Is it not a battle of, of lust, your own desires within your members? Are they not fighting? With, and members meaning parts of our body, okay? Within our, our, not members of a church, but our members, us. Over and over in this passage, you'll, you see this, that he is differentiating between religion and true Christianity. People that say um, they're religious or profess religion to people that are genuine followers of Jesus Christ. We see that over and over again. So we should handle turmoil differently than them. We should handle when there's a disagreement or when there is an issue differently than the world. The world handles getting what they want and getting their own way. They handle a little bit differently. I mean, we see that really in the whole idea of evolution, survival of the fittest, right? And, and they came up with that whole uh, scenario where the strongest are going to survive, and that's really how the world does it. The strong people get what they want. The strong people are the self-starters. The strong people are the dominating personalities. The strong people are, are the wealthy. They're the ones that are going to go for it, and they're going to get it, and they're going to be successful. And if you reject a life of trusting God, you have to take that stance of competing with everybody else. Or you're going to get run over very quickly in this world. Some of you have experienced that. But if you start competing for success, for luxury, for self-esteem, etc., you make the list, you will have to root that in yourself. There's no other way to do it. But for the Christian, it's different. Because we're not in competition. We have a Father... If we'll center our life around him, he takes care of those things for us. And it's, it's a blessed life and, quite frankly, relieves a whole lot of pressure. And we come to number two, in verse number two, point two, do you understand, he asks another question, do you understand that pleasing self is an exercise in frustration? Just an exercise in frustration. Look what he says in verse number two. You lust and have not. Ye kill and desire to have, and cannot obtain. Ye fight and war, yet ye have not, because ye ask not. Ye ask and receive not, because ye ask amiss, that ye might consume it upon your lust. Do you see the vicious cycle that he's creating here? Oh, you have desires, but you're not going to get your desires. Why are you not going to get... I mean, you're so, uh, your desires are so passionate. You want them so badly, you're willing to do anything to get them. But you won't seek to get them the right way. And then by the time you do, when you ask God, you're not even asking for the right thing. So he says no. Everywhere you look, you're not getting what you desire. He unveils this vicious cycle. Pastor James says, your flesh wants to be pleased, but it can't be pleased. So it fights harder and harder to get its way. You know, he, we know he saw an issue here. He went right to the source. So... Here's a question. Where were they getting the idea that this was the way to act? Because they had to get that from somewhere, right? Um, 
I mean, one person or two people maybe could guess that this is the way to do it. But for him to write a letter, this had to be an issue. They're getting this wisdom from somewhere. Well, maybe in James chapter 3, verse 14. James chapter 3, verse 14, he says, But if ye have bitter envying and strife in your hearts, glory not and lie not against the truth. This wisdom descendeth not from above, but it's earthly, sensual, devilish. For where envying and strife is, there is confusion and every evil work. They got this wisdom. They got this way of living, the advice to do this from the world. And where did the world get it? They got it from their father, the devil. And he's, he's Pastor James is pulling the scab back. So do you understand what's at the core of all this? Self is at the core. You're trying to please yourself. That's at the core of all this. These people had listened to and adopted the world's wisdom. The world's wisdom. But for Christians, our stance should be the opposite. James lays out a totally different, um, an obvious difference in a genuine Christian's life. I mean, if you think, so I'm not going to draw the verses, but if you think back through the chapters that we've been going through, what does he lay out in chapter number one? Ours is a life of patience, enduring to the end, right? Taking that, the testing and trial of our faith, taking it with patience so that God can do that work. Ours is a life of compassion on the poor. You know, those who would get in the way of our success, seemingly, some would think. Or what about a life of taking time for those who would eat up all of our time due to their own poor choices and lack of resources? Or what about ours is, in our relationships, a way of backing out of arguments rather than rising up in wrath to confront when we don't get our way? What about in chapter 1 we saw saying no to temptation? The temptation to what? Fulfill my own lusts, my own desires. Saying no to that and acknowledging that God is the giver of every good thing. He's given me his word and he'll give me exactly what I need. I don't need to fight for my desires. So I'll digest. I'll depend. I'll obey. I'll be a doer of his word so I don't end up being a forgetful hearer. And what does he say the last part of that chapter? I think that's chapter one. This man knows he is truly blessed in this life. And if you live a life that you genuinely think you're truly blessed, you back down. I don't have to fight for what I want. I'm I'm already blessed. I'm happy just the way I am. I'm content with what God is doing in my life, what God has given me. I'm totally satisfied with letting God promote me, with letting God advance my own ideas. And if God doesn't want to advance my own ideas, fine. That wasn't the issue they were having, but that's the solution, right? We come to verse number four. Point number three, he asks another question. He says, do you realize the consequences of the choice you have made? He says, ye adulterers and adulteresses, know ye not that the friendship of the world is enmity with God? Whosoever, therefore, will be a friend of the world is the enemy of God. Do you think that the scripture saith in vain, the spirit that dwelleth in us lusteth to envy? They had obviously been choosing according, uh, to live according to the world's wisdom. Right? They'd been choosing that. He just dealt with it in chapter number 3. And he accuses them here of being unfaithful, adulterers and adulteresses. That's, that's tough language right there. He accuses them of being unfaithful. He calls them that. There's a couple words in here. I, I looked up these words, friendship and friend. Friendship is the word philia. Uh, friend is the word philos. These are the Greek words. All in the same family as phileo. 
Or we, we might know in America, Philadelphia, the city of brotherly love. This is, this is a friendship. This is a family love, a brotherly love. Gives the idea, idea of a kinship. He says, know ye not that the friendship of the world, this kind of relationship with the world, is enmity with God. The word enmity is the word ekthra. It means a hatred, the quality of being an enemy. World, of course, is, is cosmos. It's just everything, all, everything about planet Earth. It's not just talking about people that are quote-unquote worldly. It literally means just being tied to this world. Everything about it. Physically, in a sense, the philosophies of this world, uh, what this world produces. The opposite of being heavenly-minded. He says, Do not, you've been unfaithful. Don't you understand that having this, friendly, this family relationship, this kinship with the world, you have pit yourself Put yourself in a place of enmity with God. You are labeled an enemy by doing this. Child of God, if we take this familiar and friendly stance with the world, we're placing ourselves on the opposite side of God. We are placing ourselves. It's our choice. It's our choice. They must have been choosing, these Hebrew people must have been choosing an affinity with the world's ways. We don't know exactly what it was. Uh, they're still wanting the benefits of being a child of God at the same time. We see him addressing this over and over again. And he convunts, con, convunts, yeah, that's a good one. He confronts them rather boldly, right? I mean, uh, you know, if somebody walked up to me and said I'd been unfaithful, called me an adulterer, um, that would take me back, first of all. <laughs> but um, I, I wouldn't want to just stand there and be quiet about it, okay? He is... He is Um, ripping the scab off, so to speak. He tells them, this choice that you're making, you cannot uh, be unfaithful to the Lord, you cannot choose the world's wisdom, you cannot choose the world's ways, and then be a friend of God at the same time. You cannot do that. You're picking sides. You can't pretend that uh, it's just out out of your control. He's saying you have to make a choice. And I believe the choice is no different for us. You know, we talked about this last week. Where are we getting our wisdom from? Are we getting it from the world? Are we getting it from heaven? Totally changes the way we live our lives, where we're getting our wisdom from. And it's no different for these people. James says if... By the way, he says, you know, it's almost as if he puts this rhetorical question in there. Why would you even want this? Do you understand what you're doing as if the rhetorical answer is maybe you don't understand what you're doing. Maybe the rhetorical answer, you don't even understand where these fightings are coming from, do you? You don't even understand why God is not answering your prayers, do you? You don't even understand this. Something is not right here. Something doesn't make sense of this. Why don't you understand these things? In James chapter 3, verse 14, if you're not accepting the right wisdom, what does he say? He says, glory not and lie not against the truth. Let's, let's be honest about this. Let's figure out what this is and just be open and honest about it. Do you realize the consequence of the choice you have made? And we're almost out of time. He, he goes on further in, in the letter, and we'll study that later. But as he rips this scab off, I feel like we need to look at the biblical fix. So what exactly is, and you may already know, just by seeing what James told them now. But go ahead and turn to Romans chapter 6, and I'm just going to run you through it really quick. Okay, Romans chapter 6. Apostle Paul, through inspiration of the Holy Spirit, writes a whole chapter pretty much about the lust of our flesh. 
and dying to self. The whole topic. The way we were before we were saved and the way we should be now after we're saved. And he comes at it from, we're going to start in verse number 5, he comes at it from the stance that since you are saved, since you are now a born-again Christian, there's been a new development. You're not the same as you were before. And so since you're not the same, your, your status has changed, so some other things need to change as well. There is a new thinking and new desires within you, but if you don't make your choices different, guess what? You're going to have the same issues. And even they're going to be a little more exasperated than they were before because now you're, trying to, you're taking worldly wisdom and you're trying to apply it to a Christian, and it doesn't work. The Spirit of God is against that. It's an antagonist. Now you become an adulterer, an adulteress. You're, you're, you're friends with the world's wisdom, but yet the Spirit of God is trying to promote His agenda in your life. And that's, His agenda is your good and the glory of God. But Paul addresses this here just real quickly. He says in, in Romans chapter 6, verse 5 and 6, number one, you have a different master now. You have to recognize this. You have a different master now. For if we have been planted together in the likeness of his death, Christ's death, we shall be also in the likeness of his resurrection, knowing this, that our old man is crucified with him, that the body of sin might be destroyed, that henceforth from here on out we should not serve sin. There's no argument in this room that we're all still sinners. And we're going to deal with sin until the day we die physically and go to heaven. We all, we all understand that because we're living in it, right? But he said, when you were saved, something happened in that transaction. Your old man was crucified. The result of that is that you do not have to serve sin any longer. You have a new master now. You're not serving the old master any longer. That doesn't mean we can't serve the old master. That just means that that's, that doesn't need to be our choice any longer. Now we have to choose differently. And he goes on. So number one, you, don't have a, you have a different master now. Number two, you do not have to be a slave any longer. Romans 6, 7, For he that is dead is freed from sin. Now if we be dead with Christ, we believe that we shall also live with him. That's that new life. Knowing that Christ, being raised from the dead, dieth no more, death hath no more dominion over him. You're not a slave any longer. For in that he died, Jesus, he died unto sin once, but in that he liveth, he liveth unto God. Likewise, just like that, just like Christ died, death has no more dominion over him, and now that he lives, he lives unto God just like that. Likewise, reckon ye also yourselves to be dead indeed unto sin but alive unto God through Jesus Christ our Lord. You do not have to be a slave to it any longer. When we give in to sin, it's because we chose to. I know we all agree with that. We chose to. He says there needs to be a different thinking within you now. You need to understand your old man's been crucified. You have a new master now, so you don't have to be a slave to that life any longer. You don't have to be a slave to those old habits, those old lusts any longer. He goes on in verse number 12. We're going to skip a few verses here, get right to the application. He says, you now must choose who is going to rule in your life. Look at verse number 12. You have to choose now who is going to rule in your life. He says, in in Romans 12, he says, let not sin therefore reign in your mortal body. What does that mean? Well, why would he say it if it couldn't happen? He says, let not sin therefore reign in your mortal body, that ye should obey it in the lust thereof. Well, you don't have to obey that lust any longer. You don't have to obey that sin. You have a new master now. 
So don't let him reign. Don't let that reign in your mortal body any longer. You choose who's going to rule. It's going to be Christ or it's going to be you. Lastly, you must choose who's going to use you. You must choose who's going to use you. When I say the world wants to use each and every one of God's children, I believe that's absolutely the case, but let's not keep it quite so impersonal because who is the God of this world? Who is the father of the children of disobedience? All of the people that are unsaved in this world, it's their father, the devil. So he is at the core of all of this. And you must choose who is going to use you. In verse 13, he says, So not only, verse 12, Let not sin therefore reign in your mortal body, that you should obey it in the lust thereof. So make this choice. Sin's not going to reign. Also, neither yield ye your members, in verse 13, as instruments of unrighteousness unto sin, but yield yourselves unto God as those that are alive from the dead, and your members as instruments of righteousness unto God. Well, when I saw this, this is so good. This, this idea of yielding here, okay? This is the idea of surrendering. Yes, absolutely. But it's in the opposite direction. Uh, the Greek word here is peristano. It has different meanings. Uh, it's all in this context. But they all seem to have the idea of surrendering something to somebody. So it's as if you took it and you laid it down at the altar. So here's me. Here's me, God. I'm going I'm to lay it down. I'm going to offer this for your use. But that's our choice. It doesn't have to be. And many people will do just what he said there in verse number 13. Yielding, he's, they're yielding themselves as, as instruments of unrighteousness unto sin. So who is going to use you as an instrument? Is it going to be sin? Or is it going to be yielding to God and to righteousness? We have to make that choice. We have to choose whether we're going to accept the worldly wisdom Going to jump in with the world and do it their way, even though we're not of this world any longer. And it really doesn't fit even who we are. But what happens when what we're doing on the outside doesn't fit what's going on the inside? Turmoil, quarrels, problems, issues. Why isn't this working? Why am I I praying and nothing's happening? Maybe the inside's not matching the outside. That's what this whole letter is about. James says... Listen, you profess faith in Christ. So act like it. Faith without works is dead. There's certain things you ought to be doing. There's certain ways you ought to be uh, behaving. There's certain choices you should be making. And he deals with these choices tonight. The Apostle Paul helps us with those. You have a different master now. You don't have to be a slave any longer. You must choose who's going to rule in your life. And you must choose who's going to use you. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, thank you for your word. It's so rich. It's such a blessing, Lord. Now, Father, uh, listening was the easy part. Lord, the hard part is application. Lord, I know in your faithfulness, you've, you've spoken to us and you've, you've showed us. But Lord, if we would take time and we would meditate on these truths and even tonight go home and study further and allow these truths, your word, to sink in, Lord, you would take us to to new heights. Lord, would you allow us to see where we've accepted worldly wisdom? Lord, would you allow us to see what's the root causes of any quarrels or bickerings? This This is where it was showing itself in the lives of these Hebrews here, Father. Maybe it's showing itself differently in our lives. I don't know, Lord. 
But would you help me, would you help us, Lord, root out any worldly thinking that would be contrary to who you've saved us to be? Lord, help us to think like your children. Help us to think like your instruments. Help us to think like uh, heavenly-minded individuals, Lord. That we literally have nothing to worry about. Quite frankly, Lord, we can center our lives around you and enjoy the ride. Even when it's difficult. Even when circumstances seem against us, Lord. Our faith in you, our confidence in you can take us through even the deepest storms. Realizing the whole time how blessed we actually are. Lord, would you give us this confidence We already know it's true, Lord. We read your word. But Father, we confess that it's difficult to accept sometimes. Lord, would you show us where our thinking is off when those times come? Because surely you didn't tell us that. Somebody else did. We accepted a philosophy from this world. Lord, would you cleanse our minds tonight? Maybe some of us, Lord, we need to get back into regular Bible study and Bible reading. Allow the renewing of the Word, the washing to happen, Lord, on a daily basis to cleanse our minds of these worldly things we've been accepting and hearing. Lord, maybe there's some ways and some attitudes in our minds that have crept in and we didn't even realize it, Lord. Would you shine your light in our lives tonight, Lord? Father, give us... Give us a body of believers here that are so heavenly minded, so confident in our God that, Lord, we would be akin to those men in the first church who turned the world upside down for Jesus Christ. Just normal, everyday guys. But, Lord, they believed. Would you, would you do that for us? Lord, thank you for speaking to us tonight. We love you. In your name I ask. Amen.